Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right, welcome everybody. This week we continue our journey into the book of Vaikra, the book of Leviticus. Last week we read Vaikra, which is of course the beginning of Vaikra. And in that parsha we read about a bunch of different kinds of sacrifices. We read the details of what kinds of animals you're supposed to bring or crops you're supposed to bring for each sacrifice and how it got offered. This week's parsha Tsav is a continuation of that in many ways. Tzav consists of Leviticus 6 through 8, so about three chapters toward the beginning of this book, and it continues that Levitical priestly detail, but from a slightly different perspective. So where the first parsha told us, the Israelites, about what kind of animal you're supposed to bring and how the priest was going to make the sacrifice for you, this parsha actually speaks directly to the priest. It sounds something like this. I'll just read the beginning of the parsha for you. It says, "Vayedaber Adonai el Moshe lemor." The Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, "Tsav et Aaron vet banav." Command Aaron and his sons; those are the priests. In the following way, this is the ritual of the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain where it is burned upon the altar all night until morning, while the fire on the altar is kept going on it. And it goes on from there. So this is giving priestly directions. In the beginning there, it's about the fire remaining burning on the altar all all the time. And that would have been the altar where the olah, the burnt offering, took place. And then the parsha goes on to give us details, or to give the priests details, about all the different kinds of sacrifices. The, the burnt offering, the grain offering, or mincha, the chatat, which is a purification offering, the asham, which is a reparation or guilt offering, and then finally the zevach shlamim, which is a sacrifice of well-being, a sacrifice of, of thanks that was brought to God on behalf of an individual. So what we have here is a topic that is in many ways quite distant from the lives that Jews are living today. We're not bringing sacrifices. We're not converging upon a single temple in Jerusalem in order to worship. We don't believe that the the sacrifice of animals and plants and crops is the way to communicate or to connect with God. We do that differently. And yet there are some interesting parallels and some interesting lessons to be found in this Parsha, even for Jewish life today. For one thing, it's worth pointing out that although we don't perform sacrifice anymore, thankfully, especially for those of us that are vegetarians, a lot of Jewish rituals that continue to this day are actually descended from the sacrificial rituals that are being described here in the Parsha. For example, the three daily prayer services, the rabbis tell us, are descended from the daily sacrifices that were performed in the ancient temple. Some of the laws around hand-washing, around the slaughter and handling of kosher meat, around the salting of challah 
during Shabbat meals. These are reminiscent of and possibly descended from these ancient sacrificial rituals. So in many ways, Judaism has adapted these rather than doing away with them entirely. But what struck me this week when I was reading was actually something totally different from that. I've been thinking a lot about leadership lately. Maybe most of all watching what's been going on in Israel, these massive protests that have broken out against some of the actions of the Netanyahu government. And I've been thinking about what it means for a leader to represent the people and for a leader to be responsible to the people. And this is obviously not a new issue, and it comes up in some of the commentaries to the Parsha in actually a somewhat unexpected place. In chapter 6, verse 3, it tells us that, in reference to that fire that was burning on the altar all night, every morning the priest would dress up in a special linen outfit, and it says, Take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the, on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he's supposed to take off his vestments and put on other vestments in order to carry the ashes outside the camp. El el makom tahor, to the outside of the camp, to a pure place. In other words, the priest has this job every morning of basically clearing out yesterday's sacrifices, clearing out the ashes from the sacrifices that were performed the previous day. And in the midst of that, the priest has a kind of a clothing change. He's supposed to take off his special priestly vestments and put on this ash-carrying outfit. And the commentators want to know why. Now, to some extent, it's obvious why. You're dealing with ashes and blood and lots of stuff that would get all over your clothes. And so when you go to carry out the ashes, you don't want to wear the same outfit that you wear for the holy service within the temple. And Rashi essentially says a version of that. He says, this is a matter of decency so that the priest should not soil the garments in which he regularly has to minister at the altar. So that's one possibility. But there is a second possibility that I found in a Hasidic teaching that this clothing change is actually more about the priest's mindset than it is about the actual schmutziness of the job that's being done. This is from Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Peshishcha, an important 18th, 19th century Hasidic leader. And when he reads this section, he says, This is the first thing the high priest must do before he enters into the Holy of Holies, so that he will not forget, when entering this holy place, the everyday needs of the people. The Torah commands him to remove his elaborate clothes and put on simple clothes, to remind him to pray for the day-to-day -day needs of the Jewish people. So according to Rabbi Simcha Bunim, this clothing change, as I said, is not only about the actual messiness of the job, it's also about what the priest ought to be thinking about. The high priest shouldn't start his day putting on his nicest clothes and lording over the people. He's supposed to start his day putting on ordinary clothes and performing a menial task so that he feels like a regular person, so that he is in touch with the needs of the ordinary people that he is supposed to be serving. How easy is it for a leader 
to forget who she or he is supposed to be serving? How easy is it for a person in power to be blinded by power or to shut themselves up in an echo chamber so that they only hear people who agree with them, so that they're no longer in the habit of hearing the voices of or thinking about the needs of the actual people who they serve, the actual people who either elected them or, in the case of the high priest here, are represented by them. Now, clearly this is not a new issue if our sacred texts have been dealing with it for so long, but it certainly is something that we see in the real world around us. To quote Dr. Iris Schweitzer in last week's La Soak Taste of Torah, this is on our website, he says, Here in Canada, we need not look any further than the number of times the Ethics Committee has reviewed the actions of a Prime Minister. Americans certainly have plenty of examples to point to as well. We have seen rabbis get into trouble using their positions to act inappropriately with congregants. I need not go on. End quote. And I would add to this that I think this was exactly the message of the Israeli people over the course of the last week and really over the course of the last number of months as they have taken to the streets to protest against the actions of a government that many people feel has forgotten the needs of the actual people that they're serving. The specific issue in play here has been about how do you structure the judiciary? Who should decide who sits on the Supreme Court? What should be the powers of the court to override laws passed by the parliament? But what Bibi seems to have forgotten, which so many leaders forget, is that he needs to make these decisions in conversation with the people that he represents. That it's unwise and irresponsible to try to ram through a set of changes that contravene the wishes of so many of your people, even if you do have a majority in Parliament, even if you do have a set of lawmakers behind you, even if 64 of the 120 people in the Parliament agree with you. It's meaningless if you're not listening to the actual people who you represent. I'm not even going to get into some of the major challenges inherent in the legislation that's being pushed through, some of the ways that the democratic institutions of Israel are potentially being eroded by this proposed legislation. I think it's a topic for another day. I highly recommend listening to, for example, the Times of Israel daily briefing podcast if that is something you want to learn more about, and there are other sources out there as well. Although I will say that I think that also relates to this teaching that we learn from our sacred texts, that leaders are responsible to represent the best interests of their people, not the best interests of the leader, or of the party, or of their own desire to remain in power. And therein, of course, is the danger of power, that power often breeds the desire for more power, which, according to Rabbi Simcha Bonim of Peshishka, is the reason that the high priest should put on ordinary clothing every single day. So I'll just end today by saying that I'm in awe of the Israeli people who took to the streets this past weekend and over the past number of weekends who have stood up and are continuing to stand up for democratic values and for the idea of a Jewish state that is faithful to its own declaration of independence, its own declaration of equality and civil rights for all people. There's a long way to go to achieve that vision. There's a lot of work to be done. And it will take leaders who are willing to see the needs of and the desires of their people. And it will take people 
who are willing to stand up and say to their leaders, that's enough. It needs to be different now. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. Quick reminder as we approach Pesach that next Monday, April 3rd, I am offering a free class at noon Eastern, so 9 a.m. Pacific, called The Many Meanings of Matzah. We're going to explore the various symbolisms and meanings of unleavened bread, as I say, finding the spicy symbolism in Judaism's blandest food, and it'll be a great discussion to bring to your Passover Seder if you're looking for some new information or some new meaning to bring to your own ritual. So if you want to sign up, you can just go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org. It's totally free, held on Zoom. Looking forward to seeing you there. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.